Welcome to the Lancet Respiratory Medicine Podcast. I'm Aaron Van Dorn. Today on the podcast, I spoke with Dr. Richard Beasley from the Medical Research Institute of New Zealand in Wellington about a series of three papers in the Lancet and the Lancet Respiratory Medicine that consider the promise of novel strategies to drive down the global burden of asthma. Dr. Beasley, can you briefly describe the global burden of asthma in children and adults and how the burden is changing? Well, the answer to this question really depends on what measure of burden is assessed and where it is measured. So if we start with the prevalence of asthma and look at high-income countries, there's been a marked and progressive increase in the prevalence over the last 50 years or so. But this has now leveled off over the last decade. However, in low- and middle-income countries, this increase in asthma prevalence has been more delayed and it's only occurred more recently and is still increasing. So the increasing burden of asthma is now really focused on low- and middle-income countries. If we then turn to morbidity, we see a different pattern. And if we look at DALIs, which is the disability-adjusted life years, the Global Burden of Disease report suggested that this has been relatively stable over the last 30 years. And when we think of the increase in the world's population and the increased prevalence of asthma, this can be considered good news and related to improvements in management. Although there is a bit of a bimodal pattern with peaks in children and older adults, indicating that these two groups may need particular focus. And then if we turn to mortality, we see different patterns yet again, dominated by broad therapeutic approaches. So globally, there were increases in mortality in the 1960s and 1980s during the beta agonist era. However, since then, there's been a marked reduction in mortality rates globally, which has been attributed to improvements in management, in particular, the widespread use of inhaled corticosteroids. Although over the last 10 years or so, mortality has stalled. So I think these patterns in terms of mortality indicate the profound effect both beneficial and harmful, that the therapeutic strategies can have. What steps could be taken now to address increasing burden of asthma in low- and middle-income countries? Well, I think that the main concern in low- and middle-income countries uh, is that they have far higher case fatality rates. And as a result, because there are no proven primary preventive measures, the priority is to focus on simple and inexpensive management approaches that have been shown to reduce the risk of both severe attacks and mortality in asthma. Unfortunately, we have two particular strategies based on classes of medications that meet these criteria, and both of them are available in the World Health Organization's essential medication list. And the first strategy is the widespread use of low-dose inhaled corticosteroid drugs, which we know markedly reduce the risk of both severe attacks and asthma deaths. And the good news is that you can achieve an 80% reduction in the risk of death with what is considered to be a very low dose of inhaled steroids, around 200 micrograms of beclomethasone per day. So at a really low inhaled steroid dose, you can markedly reduce mortality risk. However, even though it is on the World Health Organization's essential medicines list, in many countries it does not exist on their country list, and it may not be provided free or subsidized for patients. So I think addressing access to low dose inhaled steroids represents the number one priority globally to reduce the burden of asthma, particularly in low-income and middle-income countries. And I think if we're going to suggest a second strategy, it would be the use of a combination inhaler with an inhaled steroid and formoterol, the fast-onset but long-acting beta-agonist drug. Because we know that with this regime, which has now been termed anti-inflammatory reliever therapy, that with this combination inhaler used as a reliever, it will markedly reduce severe attacks of asthma compared to a short-acting beta-agonist such as salbutamol as a reliever, which until recently has been standard practice. But once again, even though budesonide formoterol is on the WHO essential medicines list, many patients in low- and middle-income countries simply do not have access to this at affordable cost.
So I think that the real priority is to make these medicines more available to patients in the low and middle income countries and that one would expect a really marked reduction in the burden in particular risk of mortality within the population. In regions where the burden of asthma has stabilized, could changes to the way in which asthma is diagnosed and managed help reduce morbidity and mortality? This is a really important question because the key priorities are actually the same as in low and middle income countries. They also apply to high income countries. And that is to get the more widespread use of low dose inhaled steroids, not the progressively higher and higher doses of inhaled steroids, which are is the trend in asthma management at the moment. The priority is to have widespread use of low doses of inhaled steroid. We need less steroid, but in more lungs. And then, as I mentioned, the related priority is to get the more widespread use of combination inhaled steroid from Motorol inhaler as the preferred reliever regime, rather than a short-acting beta agonist, which, depending on the asthma severity, will reduce the risk of a severe attack by between one-third and two-thirds. But I think if we're going to do two other approaches, that I think one would be the targeted use of biologics and severe asthma. But the other is the uh, what's been termed the treatable traits approach, which applies not only to asthma, but also to COPD. And that really recognizes that there are clinical characteristics, there are overlapping disorders, comorbidities, lifestyle and environmental factors that may contribute to poor respiratory health in a patient with asthma. And that these can be identified and treated in their own right. And to do so would also reduce the burden of asthma and also in patients who also may have COPD. And so this treatable traits approach essentially represents an individualized precision medicine approach rather than the sort of the one-sized-fits-all approach which has historically been recommended in some asthma guidelines. The current series of papers in The Lancet and The Lancet Respiratory Medicine considers three different approaches that could be taken as part of efforts to reduce the burden of asthma. Could you briefly summarize these three perspectives and challenges that the field might face in realizing the potential of these approaches? Yes, I think these are a great series of papers because in essence they review where we have come from in asthma, where we are currently, and where we're heading. And they provide a really balanced and realistic appraisal of the available evidence. And so, first of all, the review by Erica von Mitchis and Hermeline Smit, they really provide a grim picture that despite the huge research effort we've had over recent decades, we still have no universal primary prevention strategies to reduce the risk of developing asthma. And there's really nothing close on the horizon. And then the review by Mariel Pinenberg and Louise Fleming, they also paint a really grim picture in terms of the lack of strong new leads for secondary preventive strategies. And then more broadly, they also point out the paucity of randomized controlled trials in children compared with adults. And this is a problem not only related to asthma or respiratory medicine, it really applies across a range of conditions in children, resulting in a lack of an adequate evidence base on which to base our management. And then if we turn to the third review by Zaid al-Hassani and his team, they describe the progress that's been made from genetics to identify new drug targets. But once again, they point out that the pathway for this pipeline is likely to be a really long and torturous journey, and there are many casualties along the way. So I think that taken together, these reviews provide a really needed stock take of where we are in terms of the clinical management of asthma and where our priorities should now be placed. What would you identify as the priorities for research to understand and tackle the burden of asthma in children and adults? So in my view, the number one priority is research into primary preventive measures. And this would be randomized controlled trials, of both therapeutic and public health measures in childhood in an attempt to drive down the increasing prevalence of asthma. And I think as suggested in 
both of the paediatric reviews that were published, the best chances for this are interventions in early childhood or even in utero. But I think also that there's another related priority, and that's into treatments in childhood asthma. And I think we're needing to play catch-up here. So we need definitive randomized controlled trials of current asthma treatments, such as the long-term or the acute use of short-acting beta agonists, or even studies of anti-inflammatory reliever therapy in childhood. And we need to, first of all, find out how to use our current drugs optimally if we're going to reduce the burden of severe asthma in children. And in terms of potential new targets, I think we need to explore treatments that target mechanistic pathways that are specific and can be used according to this treatable trace approach. But I think we should try to focus on pathways that are well upstream and broad enough that they can be used widely across the spectrum of asthma severity, not just on a really small proportion of the asthma population. Are changes needed to the way in which research is done and the way in which research findings are applied in clinical practice and public health? Yes, I think there really do need to be changes in the way we approach our randomized controlled trials. And I think the days are gone where we have individual groups undertaking small studies themselves. And I think what we need is a concerted international collaborative effort, not just related to pharma studies, but we need independent academic networks. And I think what's done in intensive care is a really good example of this. And I think if we take the priority of studies that may reduce the risk of developing asthma, the intrinsic problem here is that asthma cannot be reliably distinguished from transient preschool wheeze until at least six years of age. And so clinical trials need long-term follow-up and may take at least 10 years to complete from writing the grants to publishing the results. And so I think we need to change the way we do things. Gone are the days when one group can spend 10 years doing one study and nothing else that might come along their way during that period. I think we need strong international collaborations which undertake large randomized controlled trials. And we need to use an adaptive platform design. And that gives you the ability to add novel therapeutics along the way as novel targets become apparent. It also gives you the capability to drop off interventions once your futility has been shown and then have the ability early to identify treatments where benefit may be shown during the period of the study. So I think that we need to really go global in terms of our research effort. And we need to do this in addition to collaborations with the pharmaceutical industry. We also need to do this as independent academic networks if we're really going to make progress as needed. And as the three reviews have illustrated, we really have an unsatisfactory situation and we need to make real advances particularly primary preventive measures and also approaches that can change the natural history of the disease. Dr. Beasley, thank you for taking the time to speak with us today. No, thank you very much and thank you for putting me at ease. (laughs)